Turn with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 10. The 10th chapter of John's Gospel is found on page 1065, 1065. We're going to read two of the I am statements in John's Gospel in this event or in this speech of our Lord. It's entitled as our Bibles have it, I am the good shepherd, but that comes second. It is I am the door of the sheep. That comes first. And that's what we're going to focus our attention on this afternoon as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper. With your Bibles open, let's ask the Lord now to bless our reading of this word. Shall we pray? Merciful God and Father, your word lies before us. Its light streams for those who have eyes to see, encourages for those who have hearts that are open, and enlightens for those who have minds that have, Lord, been tuned to the frequency of your love and of your grace in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we, we pray that you would so work in all of our hearts that we might see, that we might love, and that we might know the wonders of your grace as we read your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Then hear the word of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, That man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers, this figure of speech Jesus used with them. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's for the reading of God's holy word. Again, verse 7, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And then again at verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, I will, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our Lord, I don't know if you noticed it when we read through chapter 10. I certainly did as I was making ready to preach this sermon. The first thing you do, of course, if you're going to preach a passage is read the text. Become familiar with what's going on in that particular passage of Scripture. And so I dutifully opened to John 10 and started reading about Jesus as he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who comes in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And now you expect that after that, Jesus is going to say, well, I'm that shepherd. I'm not a thief or a robber. I am the good shepherd. And of course, in due course, Jesus will say that. And we'll see that next time, Lord willing, as we continue our series on the I Am sayings. But it comes at the end in verse 6, and it says this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So then Jesus says, well, let me clarify for a minute. And again, you'd think, given what he had just said in verses 1 through 5, that what he would say is, I'm the good shepherd. But he doesn't. He says, I'm the door. He says it twice. I'm the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. Anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It's an interesting, it is an unexpected, is a bit startling a word. It's meant to make us pause and stop and go, wait a minute, what does that mean? I know what it would mean if Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. That instinctively we understand, especially in the contrast between thieves and robbers. But I am the door? I am the door? Where is the significance of a door? Where is the significance of of this word in the history of redemption? Where is it that the Lord promises us in the Old Testament context a door? Where is it that the Lord speaks about the need of a door? How is this suddenly uh, one of the seven I am sayings of our Lord? Well, it would help, of course, to understand the context or to keep in mind the context of this saying, uh, in particular, chapter 9, and the story of that man born blind. You will remember that story. The disciples see a man born blind. Who sinned? Jesus, this man, or his parents? And Jesus answered, no, it's, it's not that at all. But this has been done so that the works of God may be displayed. And then you remember how he progressively heals this man. And then this man uh, is interviewed uh, by the, 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 the authorities. They, they, they aren't so keen on the fact that Jesus is performing these miracles and people are getting all excited about it and that sort of thing. And so the Pharisees, they question the man and, 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 and their, their line of questioning wants this man to assert that Jesus is not who he says he is. He's, he's not the Son of God. He's not the Messiah. He's, he's not someone to put your trust in. And so they pressure him and pressure him. And in fact, they threaten to put him out of the synagogue. They call his parents in and they, and they say, listen, enough is enough. This boy of yours has got to stop talking about this stuff. Otherwise, we're going to excommunicate you. And in the end, that's exactly what they do. They put the man out of the synagogue. They declare him no longer a member in good standing of the church. And then Jesus comes to him and says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? To which he says, Who is it, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, You have seen him, and he's speaking to you. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And it is in that context, it is, that's why the truly, truly, the truly, truly statement in these passages 
uh, is a, uh, a statement that refers or draws the attention back to what happened before. In light of this, says Jesus, then truly, truly, this is true. Truly, truly, given what you just saw, this is true. I am the door. Now, to be sure, the main thought of this section is that there is a rightful, legitimate, loving, and trusted shepherd who cares for his sheep, not like the Pharisees did with this particular sheep. They were cruel to him. They were unkind to him. They were thieves and robbers and strangers. That's why that man didn't listen to them, but listened to the voice of his Savior which is a word that was applicable, of course, undoubtedly in Jesus' day. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the leaders of the Jews were not good shepherds. They were were not good men. It was a reminder of the Lord's warning already in Ezekiel 34 concerning the the shepherds of Israel. And it's, it's a word of warning for today, for the present. There are so many scandals that so often mark the Christian church, especially in the leadership of the church, when the leadership of the church either financially, emotionally, or even sexually abuses those under their care. There are no end of those false shepherds in our culture who are pasturing themselves upon their sheep, the sheep existing to fill the coffers and the power of the shepherd, not for the shepherd to serve the sheep. But it is in this context that Jesus first says, I'm the door. Before I can talk to you, says Jesus, about my ministry and shepherding, you need to understand this, first of all, that I am the door. False teachers, strangers, shepherds, they don't have access, says Jesus. They don't have legitimate access to the sheep. Indeed, the gatekeeper won't open the door to them. But Jesus says, I am the door. Meaning that Jesus does have rightful access to the sheep. Not only does the gatekeeper open to him, he is the gate that is opened. Jesus says, I have a right to pasture this flock that is mine. I have the right to determine access to this congregation. I am the the one who protects and preserves my sheep so that they are secure from those who would do them harm. And how does he do that? He says, I am the door. The image of a door here is that, that of access. Access to the flock. Who can access the flock? Jesus says, I can. And I can only because I have given my life to redeem this people. Because I have purchased them. They're my my sheep, my flock, by purchasing. I bought them. They belong to me. And so Jesus says, I get to decide who may pasture, who may protect, who may preserve, provide for my sheep. I am the door. I give access. That's the first thought that Jesus wants His hearers and certainly the Pharisees and all the rest to understand. These false teachers, these thieves and robbers who have been mistreating the church as we read in chapter 9, Jesus says, I'm the one you have to deal with because I'm the one who gives access to the sheep. Access to the sheep by those shepherds appointed by Christ for this very purpose. 
See, that's the implication here as well. That Jesus, as the door, is the one who can decide which shepherds may enter and which may not. Think here now, very particularly, of church officers, of elders and deacons, and also of ministers. Jesus is saying, I am the door. That is, only those men whom I approve may come in and legitimately call the sheep. I'm the one who decides. I appoint these men. And I only appoint men, says Jesus, who have themselves come to a living faith, who themselves have surrendered their lives in service to me. That's that's ultimately the distinction between the church leadership that is faithful and the church leadership that's unfaithful. The faithful church leadership are those who have first bowed the knee before the shepherd, have first acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord, have first surrendered all to the Savior. And from that company of people that the Lord has redeemed, Christ chooses some to minister to His flock as shepherds, as pastors, as those who are to lead the sheep. They have access to the sheep, says our Lord in this passage, only by my giving them permission, I decide who can lead my sheep. That's what He means when He says, I am the door. He says, I give access. And I give access only to those who meet my standard. And there is in this, you ought to understand, a profound comfort for all of us to understand. It's a profound comfort in the context of a world like ours where there are so many voices, so many promises, not only in all of the religions of the world, but also in the Christian community. There are so many spiritual leaders, so many promises, so many preachers. How do we make sense of them all? How do we decide which are which? I get on my Facebook feed strange teachers, strange preachers. Facebook knows that I'm a minister, and so they send me all these sorts of things that I, they think I'd like to hear. Most of them are crazy and out to lunch, but compellingly mentioned, convincingly communicated. If you didn't know the things that someone who studies the Word of God for a living might know, you'd say, well, that sounds right, doesn't it? But it really doesn't. How do, we, how do we protect our hearts? How do we protect our congregation? How do we protect our children and grandchildren from the lies that the devil spews from his mouth seeking to sweep them away into the destructiveness of empty religion? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. He doesn't say, well, you've got to figure it out on your own. I hope you guys can do it. No, He says, I'm the door of the sheep. I am the door of this sheep. And that means that we can ask ourselves some very simple questions about those that are ministering over us that can help us discern whether or not indeed they have been sent to us by Christ. We can ask questions like this. Are we being directed to Jesus by those men the Lord has appointed over us? Is the message we hear, is the family visit we receive, is the pastoral visit we receive, is the diaconal visit we receive, calling us to greater surrender, greater trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Are the men who lead in this congregation pointing us not to ourselves, but to our Savior? And are we being encouraged to drink deeply of His grace? 
Not to trust at the feet of our teacher. Not to say, well, this is a unique congregation with a special voice, a a distinctive leadership style. We're this way. No, are we being brought to the foot of the cross to there see our need of mercy and to open wide our hearts to receive that grace of God in Jesus Christ? Are we being reminded of how much we need the saving work of the Lord? Are our sins carefully, pastorally brought to our mind that we may turn from them and cry out to Jesus? Are we being encouraged to drink deeply of His grace? Are we being encouraged by His sacrifice for our sins? Is the comfort of the Gospel applied to us? We can sometimes hear about our mistakes, but can we hear about the care and the provision and the love of the Father? Are we being encouraged to rest more fully in His grace? Are we being shown the safety and the security that comes from living in a close walk with the Lord? Are we being shown the wisdom and the beauty of God's law and will of God's Word and way? There are endless number of ways in which we can point this out or ask these questions but they all amount to the same thing don't they is are the leadership of our congregation entering through the door that is Jesus Christ and so calling us to trust more deeply in him indeed think only of what it cost Jesus to say these words to be able to say I am the door of the sheep Think of what it meant for Him to purchase us as His flock. It was at the cost of His own life. It was at the shedding of His own blood upon the cross of Calvary. We can trust Him with our lives. We can trust Him with our care. He will protect us and provide for us more perfectly than anyone else. But He calls us to Put our trust in Him. To not trust any of the voices that lead us astray. To not trust anyone who claims to be a shepherd. Whether it's a parent. Whether it's a preacher. Whether it's a friend or public speaker. Whatever these people are. Whoever they are. When we hear someone telling us that they know the way to blessing. To green pastures. To a fuller life. And we need to just ask ourselves a very simple question. What is their relationship to Jesus? Has He sent them? Has he, have they entered into His ministry through His instigation? Do they show in their life a dependence upon Him? And have they acknowledged His desperate need for, their, for His grace? Is He their shepherd? Now, in a relativistic culture, this is a word we need to hear more and more than ever. Keep in mind that in the very beginning of time, God put us into a garden which was glorious, plentiful in peace and in blessing. After our fall into sin, we were kicked out. We went into the wilderness. We went into the desert. Not so plentiful, not so peaceful, not so good. And since that time, there have been endless preachers and teachers who have said to us, I know the way back in. I know the way back into that Garden of Eden. Every religion promises you this. Every guru, every friend, 
every teacher, every Instagram influencer, every university professor, every TV commercial, every politician, every podcast is telling you the way to fullness, the way to happiness, the way to success. You can describe it in whatever way you want. At the end of the day, our world is saying, we know the path back into Eden. We know the way back into that place of blessing, of, of abundance, of peace. And many of them are convinced of this. Allow that they are all well-intentioned. All of these voices that chirp in our ear on any given day, they all genuinely want us to be blessed. But are they right? Is their way good and blessed? Or is it a way that drives us into deeper despair and emptiness? It's a serious question we must ask ourselves as we watch our world descend into darkness. See the increasing mental health concerns. See the increasing violence and drug use. See the brokenness in homes and relationships. See the wounded souls we walk around with every day. And realize that in this world, the pills that are given promising blessing in the end cause us no end of grief. And all of those voices are coming for us this week. They're all coming for our attention and our hearts and our voices. Every one of us are an object of those thieves, robbers, and false shepherds who tell us we know the way. And just keep this word in mind as you live your life this week. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. Such a vital word today. Keep it in your heart. For the test comes of all these voices that speak to us. The test comes in this way. Have they come into our lives through the door of the sheep? For through the One whose purpose is to protect and preserve, who has purchased for Himself a flock, Are the people we're listening to, are the people that are speaking words into our hearts, into our souls, are our Instagram feeds, are our Twitter feeds, are our our, uh, earbuds and their podcasts hearing voices that know the Good Shepherd, that know the, the door to the sheep? We can trust that door because He has purchased us and we know He will only send us servants. He will only open To us, those men whom He has sent and approved of. And He will show us the way. They may not be the most compelling, dynamic, exciting, rich, or attractive. They may not be able to compete with all of the various programs and production value that the world has. When an elder comes into your home, when he has a coffee with you at Timmy's, when he sits down for a moment and he says, brother, you've got to do better. This is a dangerous path you're on. You've got to try harder. You've got to listen more carefully. When he implores you to walk more closely with your Lord, it may not be at all like what you get on your phone. But this is a shepherd the door has opened to. Take him seriously. Follow him. 
Listen to the voice of Him who calls. Jesus is the door of the sheep. But He's not only the door that protects and preserves, He's also the way that the sheep are provided for. Notice that also in verse 9. In verse 7 it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. But in verse 9 it says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The first part of this passage focuses on who has access to the sheep. That is, only those who come through Jesus Christ, who themselves confess Jesus Christ as Lord and who serve in His church and kingdom. Well, the second part focuses on the blessing that, that, that the, the Lord provides the sheep. That is, that they will find pasture and that they will have life and that they will have it abundantly. If Jesus is the access to the sheep by right and by virtue of His sacrifice on our behalf, then access to the fullness of life, to that which we all desire, is gained only when we pass through that same door as His sheep. The shepherd who comes to us must come to us through that door. That's the only way we should ever receive a shepherd in our home, in our church, or in our hearts. Those who are going to lead us must come through the door that is Jesus Christ. But when we go out of the sheepfold, we are to go out through that door as well. We are also to go out that door trusting in Jesus Christ. Indeed, what Jesus is saying to us is that we, as the flock of God, are not simply to do what we're told, to just follow in lockstep with one another, just everybody just do the same thing, I'm sure it'll work out. No, Jesus says we are to genuinely trust, genuinely submit, genuinely confess our need of this saving work in Jesus Christ. If we are to enjoy, says Jesus, life abundantly, and that's the promise in this passage, if we are to enjoy life in abundance, says Jesus, if we are to eat at the green pastures of this world, where sheep are contented and provided for and are satisfied, then we must go through the door ourselves. Go through the door ourselves. We must believe. Obvious, right? Simple, right? You'd be hard-pressed to, to hear a sermon, certainly in this congregation, any true and faithful congregation, where you weren't called to faith. Of course we have to have faith. We're Christians. That's what we do. But understand what's being said here, given that our world is all about life in abundance, given that our world says to us, not only should you follow these Instagram influencers, these speakers, these self-help gurus, these people that will tell you this is exactly how you need to succeed, but they tell you how you are to live your life as a result. And the truth is, says our world, that people who follow us, this is how they should live. They, well, they shouldn't feel oppressed, and they shouldn't feel offended, and they shouldn't feel judged or undervalued in any way. They should be appreciated and loved. You need to love yourself first. That's the way that this world teaches us to live. You need to listen to your own desires. You need to Trust your own instincts. We are to make ourselves 
happy by being free from all of the restrictions that a society, that a church puts on us, that family and friends limit us with. We need to be free. And we need to be full. We live in a materialistic age. And value and money, or value and happiness rather, are intimately tied to money and to stuff. The more you have, the happier you will be is the, the absolutely per, persuasive and, and, and persistent message of our society. You can have more. If you have more, you'll be better. You'll be happier. You'll be fuller. You need to be free and you need to be full. You need to be able to in, be enriched. The, the 1% owe it to you to give you stuff. Government owe it to you to give you stuff. Because you can't be happy if you're poor. Absolutely not. Happiness is only connected to stuff. Well, it's also connected to sexuality. We need to be free. We need to be full. And we need to be, we need to be able to express our sexuality however we want. We need to be promiscuous. Because we live in a sexually immoral age, we are told daily that our personal happiness is tied very closely to our sexuality. Both in terms of its expressions, I should allow, be allowed to be whatever I want. Love is love. I should be able to love whoever I want. I should be able to do whatever I want. But also in terms of our experience, Our experience of life is so tied up with sexuality that if you're not sexually active, if you're not enjoying sexuality the way the world says you ought to be, you're you're not happy, you're not content, you're not full. You have to be able to do whatever you want, with with whoever you want, whenever you want. There must be no restrictions for there to be happiness. Indeed, anything less than these three things, anything less than freedom and fullness and promiscuity, anything less is hateful, is oppressive, and is truly intolerant. And truth be told, we're not too opposed to this mentality. Let's admit that. I mean, if the world does exist to make me happy, I'm not sure I have a problem with that. I happen to think it's a pretty good idea. And yet so much rests on these lies, so much rests on these questions of what makes us full, what makes us free, what makes us happy. As believers, we are convinced, and we seem to have enough evidence around us to show the truth of what we believe, that this pursuit of life apart from God, apart from Jesus Christ, apart from bending the knee in submission to Him, does not bring joy but brings destruction. Encouraging rebellion against God by increasing access to drugs, by promoting sexual deviance, by promising that every problem can be addressed by a visit to the doctor. Whether it's gender reassignment, the gender reassignment doctor, whether it's the abortion doctor, whether it's the doctor who performs medically assisted suicide. The world in which we live tells us 
that we can solve all our problems with some medication which doesn't seem to bring greater blessing to every, anyone, but makes life much, much worse. Oh, but those who are opposed to our faith, they say, you see, the problem isn't with this new brave world we're in. The problem isn't with all of these permissive, these progressive, these liberating policies that free people are allowed to be truly who they are. No, the, the problem has been this, this misogynistic, patriarchal, Christian society that has been, been oppressing people for so very long. This Christian society, says our world, needs to be utterly deconstructed and destroyed. It needs to be burned down so that a phoenix can rise from the ashes. You know what? They're not altogether wrong. There is a lot in our society that is wrong. There's a lot in our culture and has been a lot in our culture, in the history of our culture, in Western civilization that was unfair and unjust sit for a few minutes in family court, discover what passes for justice in our society, your heart will be overwhelmed by the cruelty of our day. And there is a day coming, praise God, there's a day coming when everything will be burned, but not burned unto destruction, burned unto purification. And not by our hands, but by the hands of Him who's preparing us for a more glorious future, one in which He is our all and in all. The deconstructionists of our day, they want to burn it down so that they can rebuild it. I'm not sure fallen humanity's up to the task. I'll put my trust in the Lord. His way is not the way of cruelty and oppression and injustice. His isn't the way that you have to say things like, well, you've got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. His is the way of peace. His is the way of love. His is the way of service. And that's what He's calling us to in this passage. The promise of Jesus is to fill our heart's desire. To fill our spirits with joy. To fill our minds with wonder. To fill our lives with fullness, with shalom. And we have every reason to, to believe His promise. Well, the world promises that we'll have happiness if we just rewrite all of history, tear down the statues, if we hang the right flags. Jesus promises that He will lead us into green pastures by doing all that is necessary for us. He deals with our guilt and shame by obtaining for us the forgiveness of sins. He deals with us by he deals with our weakness and our frailty by pouring out his spirit within us. He even deals with our mortality and that greatest of thieves death by dying on a cross for us. And all before we ever knew him. He works blessings for us and then calls us into that fellowship. He says, put your hand in mine. Walk through this door. Enter through this gate and you will gain pasture. You will find peace. You will experience joy. Now we have this tendency, unfortunately, to look over the wall. The kind of 
um, path or, or the kind of enclosure Jesus has in mind. We saw actually quite a number of these in Scotland when we were there. There'd be a bit of a hill with a, with a bit of a wall and they would put stones, a stone wall all around it with a gate in it. And, and that stone wall would sit three and a half, four feet high, that sort of thing. High enough that the sheep couldn't jump out, that sort of thing. But every so often you could see maybe one peeking out. And that's what we do. We, we peek out. And we look around and we go, oof, it's so nice. Look at that green grass over there. That's beautiful, isn't it? And we want to go over there and we want to go over here and we want to go over everywhere else. And we don't want to wait for that gate to be open. We don't want to have to walk through that. That's a limiting thing. Why should I have to walk through that gate? That's a challenge we all have to answer in faith. The world calls us to obey and says we'll be happy if we do. Probably, maybe, well, one day. Jesus says, go through me. But to do that, you have to completely surrender your life to Him. The door to blessing is not a successful business. It's not a white picket fence with a beautiful house behind it. It's not a beautiful wife and a fancy car. And it's certainly not a freedom to do whatever you want. To enter through, or to exit rather, to go out into green pastures through that door is to surrender your tomorrow, it's to surrender your relationships, it's to surrender your business, it's to surrender how you spend your money, it's to surrender how you make your money, it's to surrender who you associate with, it's to surrender how you live your life. Can you surrender that control? Are you willing to walk through that gate? Can you accept the discipline of your body? Can you follow the path of sacrifice and service that the Lord has laid down? That's what this passage is calling us to That's what the Lord's calling us to do when He says, exit through the door. It's a call with such cost, but with infinitely greater blessing. You lose nothing by heeding this call. You gain everything when you give your life, when you you come, you take and eat, remember and believe. When you walk... We're about to walk through that door again. This is what we're going to do. We're going to say, Jesus, I'm looking for blessing in this life. The only way I can find it is by going through you. So I'm going to go through you now. That's how we ought to come now to the table of the Lord. We ought to come wanting to walk through that door into green pastures to find fullness in this life. That, that restlessness in our hearts can finally rest when we rest in Jesus. So let's come. Let's take. Let's eat. Let's drink. Let's remember and believe. Let's trust that Jesus is the door. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, open our hearts and our minds now to lay hold of the bread and the wine in remembrance of Jesus. And help us to take this wanting, longing, committed to living for Him. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.